0: You're listening to a podcast from the University of Warwick. This series was produced as part of the conference All Together Now, British Theatre After Multiculturalism. The conference is organised in collaboration with the British Theatre Consortium. In this episode, we hear from commentator Mark Lawson, speaking as part of the panel discussion Access Schmaxes. The perspective I want to bring to this is based on my uh, experience working in radio and television. Particularly not because I don't want to talk about theatre, and I will. But um, I talked to David beforehand, and I think there are interesting parallels here because the story of broadcasting uh, of all kinds, particularly arts broadcasting, over the last 20 years or so has been a terrible neurosis about who the audience were and whether there was this other audience beyond that could or should be reached. And so I think there are direct parallels. And I think in the arts generally, um, as in broadcasting. Um, Two historical trends um, came together, one broadly from the right, one broadly from the left. The one broadly from the right was the idea that anything which is purchased with public money must demonstrate that it is serving the public and that it is reaching the public in the broadest sense. And the MPs expenses row going on at the moment is clearly part of that graph into just questioning where is all this bloody public money going and how do we justify it? But the other side, which was uh, progressive and broadly from the left, was a fear in broadcasting and elsewhere that only a very narrow audience was being reached. This is a complicated argument. One of the the most regular email I get at the BBC, uh, because one of the developments of technology, which is a welcome one, is that the audience can communicate much more directly. Actually, you'll be on air doing a program and the emails are coming in then. But the one that comes in most often, and perhaps it says something about the Radio 4 and BBC 4 audiences, which are the two um, to which I most often broadcast, but uh, these, I mean, wonderfully, perhaps it's a stereotype, but beautifully, politely, gently phrased, please come in, but asking the question, what did the middle classes ever do to hurt anyone? Why are, they, why are they so dreadful? Because they pointed out, and I wasn't aware of this until it was pointed out, and I went back, and they are absolutely correct about this. Middle class has become a term of, of abuse um, in the uh, arts debate and the broadcasting debate. Um, I have been to long, long meetings at the BBC which are entirely predicated on the question of how can we stop attracting these bloody middle-class people um, all the time. Well, we don't have to to stop. I mean, they can listen and they can watch, but let's go and find the real people. Um, There are many, many parallels with this throughout art. Um, I mean, David Edgar, uh, at one point, um, but he should talk about this rather than me, and I may be um, misrepresenting this, but was part of the the agit-proc movement on the left. But again, it was this dissatisfaction with the audience you were reaching and the idea that as in some kind of divorce or end of a relationship, there was this better one that you could go and have a better relationship with. And broadcasting and the arts generally, I think, have suffered from these two trends. But, um, as I say, it's very complicated because one of them, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, I think has been entirely benevolent, um, and uh, vital, which is the diversity um, movement. I won't talk about that in a moment. But the other parallel with broadcasting is that the crisis that broadcasting has had and the arts have had is this question of how do you measure success? How do you measure reach? Now, in broadcasting, there are two measures that are used at the BBC. Um, one is the crude, the ratings, um, the number of people who watched or listened to that programme. Um, It's presented as a science, Um, it really isn't, uh, even with, um, you can tell a bit more now because of people going onto websites and website hits are often quite revealing, but broadly the ratings are still judged by a very small number of people um, who fill in a diary or have um, a little box um, in their um, set. I once met someone at a party who was one of the people who kept the diary. And so I was very attentive that evening and I said, um, could you just write down that you listen to and watch everything I do? And um, I think that was probably worth um, at least half a million viewers and listeners um, <laughs> on each of my programs because the sample is so small. But that, that is the one. Um, and in broadcasting, particularly over the last 10 years, um, it's become an obsessive thing. Uh, what are the ratings? Um, I um, Uh, once at the BBC, I'd done a television programme, everyone was quite pleased with it, and we said to our executive producer, what did you think? And he said, I'll tell you when I get the ratings. Um, And he wasn't joking, I mean, that is genuinely how he made that measure. Um, There's a fascinating, because I've worked in both, um, difference between radio and TV. In radio, the ratings, the RAJAR figures, are only published every three months, um, and they cover that whole three-month period. And what that means, and this is specifically the case in arts programs, um, and there is no other explanation for it, is that um, you can do a much broader range of material. Because if you choose to give half an hour to one subject or one artist or one writer, um, you will have a lot of crowd cover in that three months period. And the people who have listened to your review of the Da Vinci Code or whatever will mask perhaps the fact that fewer people listen to um, the one where you did your um, special on modern art, or uh, we did a front row special on um, the historical uh, women in theater and why there's so few uh, female playwrights. Now, if you did that program, that specific program about uh, the uh, lack of female playwrights on TV, they would look at it and they'd say, oh, sorry, you only got a tenth of what we got for the culture show on the Da Vinci Code, and somehow you were seen of having, as having failed. The other measure in broadcasting, though, which uh, people are now trying to encourage, is the AI rating, which is the audience index, the audience index of appreciation. And that's a figure out of 100, again, on a small sample of people being interviewed or filling in diaries, how much they like that program. figures are bizarrely divergent. Um, So it's not much of a statistical sleight of hand to say that 10 million people watch EastEnders but none of them like it. Um, (laughs) On the other hand, um, perhaps uh, (laughs) half a million or even fewer, uh, perhaps 200,000 people will watch some programs on BBC Four but they all love it. Um, And that's why these judgments. and I remember going to Tessa Jowell Breakfast when she was the culture secretary, and um, it became, she just uh, kept standing up and saying to different people, but how do we work out uh, whether these arts are successful? And as in broadcasting, it is very, very difficult because you may never know. Um, the effect uh, may not be apparent to the person um, who, who, appreci- who experienced that play or that program. It may become apparent um, years later. It's only, I mean, really, now, when I see what goes on in broadcasting um, at the moment, that I realize uh, quite how much I learned from watching the South Bank Show, um, n- uh, now, uh, tragically to be but watching that when I was a teenager um, listening to Radio Three, Radio 4 programs, um, a huge amount of everything I know about the arts comes from um, listening and watching, listening to and watching um, arts broadcasting. But I talked about those two historical trends, and the one that I think is most relevant to this conference um, is this question of of multiculturalism and of diversity, the attempt to reach more diverse audiences. Um, I have become, to myself, quite surprisingly, um, militant on that subject. I think even five years ago, I would have been much more relaxed and said, oh, these things will take care of themselves historically. as other people come into bro- uh, a wider range of people come into broadcasting, this will just happen. Um, in the last couple of years, I've, I've felt a sense of horror. Um, Greg Dyke uh, didn't mint, but um, agreed with a phrase used by a reporter that the BBC and broadcasting in general were hideously white. Um, I think that's, um, uh, it's impossible to argue with that. And I feel um, a personal shame about this. I, 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 I try to fight it and I do what I can but I'm horrified that you can look at the schedules for a week in radio or TV, and the sheer difficulty, particularly on discussion programs, think back to recent editions of Question Time. Um, Any questions, any of these programs, I have looked at a week's um, programs on Radio 4 in which there was no non-white contributor, and I've come to the conclusion that Without monitoring, without targets, it never happens. There is this terrible tendency to, def- to return to the historical default. Um, also, I, and I don't want to demonize the Radio 4 audience at all because um, uh, many of my friends are Radio 4 listeners um, and many of my colleagues work for Radio 4 and it's a tiny fraction, but <coughs> I felt a real, I mean a deep, deep shame and horror over what happened um, has happened on the Radio 4 websites, which again are not representative and should not be seen as such. Um, And I don't know how much Barry knows about this, but um, three very violent um, and offensive uh, threads, um, I think two at least of which uh, had to be closed down by the moderators, and were a significant number of people. One of them was about um, Lenny Henry's um, Othello, uh, which has a, grew out of Radio 4, as you may well know, because the Radio 4 producer, Simon Albans made a program with Lenny about Shakespeare, in the course of which Barry invited him to play um, that role. Um, it was horrendous and upsetting stuff to me, and I, you know, fairly hardened journalist, I think I didn't regard myself as particularly sensitive, at one point, someone actually said, um, spectacularly said, uh, Lenny Henry would never have got to play this part if he were white, which I thought was... Um, <laughs> uh, <coughs> but, um, uh, <coughs> but there is a trend. Um, uh, there is a, And what I find so, uh, so horrifying about this, and I think it is relevant to this, is that this is radio where objectively race should not remotely be an issue however and i had never anticipated this in my worst moments um there are people out there who are listening for black voices as they call them they are judging people racially by their voices uh neil nunes the uh, my colleague uh, radio 4 announcer um who is jamaican and has certain speech rhythms that uh, can be associated with jamaica and therefore is assumed by the radio 4 audience um to to be jamaican um and i think is. but uh, has had the most terrible terrible attacks um on those websites over and over again why can't he learn to speak english properly etc etc um there's a writer who we use as a regular contributor on um uh, front row who i won't name because i haven't asked her about doing this but um, she lost her, it was apparent to me, she didn't broadcast very good, it was then apparent to me, because I've done a lot of this stuff, that she had lost her confidence, um, and that she was, uh, had almost developed a stammer in the, in the middle of um, sentences or even words. Um, it was then, uh, and this is one of those awful phrases politicians use, but it really was drawn to my attention. I mean, I hadn't seen this one, and someone did draw it to my attention, I saw it. And there had been constant, constant attacks on her calling her an idiot, Uh, calling her uneducated. Um, When she had, um, there are certain, uh, I mean I come come from Leeds, um, from a middle class uh, white background, I have certain speech mannerisms. She had some which are perhaps associated with South London, I think Uganda very difficult um, territory arguing that they were specifically black, but to the Radio 4 audience they were. Um, And, I have no doubt that she had seen these threads um, and uh, to the point where I think she didn't really want to broadcast anymore. And my one small contribution to this is that um, I persuaded her to go on doing so. Um, but that was a shocking, a really shocking moment for me because I think it's very easy to think that, um, ooh, you know, we live in this, um, this wonderful world where none of this stuff matters anymore and everyone, uh, is uh, colour blind, and just historically things will develop and uh, people will come through. And as I say, the experience in broadcasting is that unless you set targets and unless you make people do it, they will not do it. Um, and I, as I say, five years ago, I would not have expected to believe that, but I do believe that partly because um, of what has happened. Um, I, I mean, some of the stuff um, that was said about Lenny, for example, um, and I, I could not believe was being um, written in public on these sites, but that's what we are up against, I think. Um, the other question, just, um, there are three other things I want briefly to say. One is that uh, because um, Ed Vasey is not here, um, I think it's very brave of David to assume that um, he will necessarily be the Arts Minister. I think there will be many more twists before then. Um, and who knows who it will be or um, even what it will be. But in as much as we can tell what Tory arts policy is, and again, we learn a lot um, about this from their attitude towards broadcasting, there's a very clear line coming through the Conservative Party on broadcasting, which is that public money must only be used to provide what private money does not. uh, all their policy goes in this direction, that there would be some kind of arts council of the air, um, and the BBC would come with their, uh, their programmes and say, we want to make this, and they would say, okay, you can have the money uh, because nobody else wants to make it. There are other arguments, top slicing and so on, of giving some of that public money to other broadcasters. Um, but uh, that's the way it seems to be going. Um, there's, some, uh, there's a suggestion that there's, there will be a similar attitude towards the arts council and towards theatre, therefore, um, and the performing arts um, in particular, that, um, and these arguments go back a long time, clearly the national, that the National Theatre should not be doing American musicals because somebody else can do them. Um, I suspect if you got people like um, uh, Nick Heidner, Richard Eyre, or any of them here, and said, how do you run, um, can you actually run a theatre on the basis of just doing what um, other people don't provide? Um, I think the economics probably don't work. But the other problem politically, which we probably want to discuss, is which David touched on, uh, well, more than touched on, talked about, is this question of what, um, well, we both, we, both of you did, uh, what populism is, what accessibility is. Um, David Hare said um, on the day of the Oscar nominations um, on Front Row, um, he said that the government should realize that these Oscar nominations are a triumph for subsidized theater. And I have had these discussions with um, politicians in all parties and they really don't get this at all they will use variations along the argument of you know when you look at those oscars slumdog millionaire you know that's the kind of stuff we should be doing you know stuff that they want to see around the world um but as david Hare was pointing out there and it's a very remarkable thing i mean if you look at those um oscar nominations uh, i mean danny boyle uh, was stephen Daldry's assistant at the royal court they're both quite open about the fact that they did some plays that nobody wanted to see um, at all, uh, which is the case of anyone who works in any of these. I've made programs that nobody wanted to, uh, to watch or to listen to in relative terms. I mean, nobody being below um, the level that other uh, examples in those genres can attract. And I think that's the other, that's the really big problem. Um, Lee Hall is quite open about this. Um, yeah, you know, people are now saying, "Oh, you know, what a magnificent role model to everyone." Uh, you know, ten Tony's, you know, this shows what can be done in the arts if you just reach out to your audience. But Lee Hall um, is entirely, uh, as he's quite um, apparent, and Alan Akebourne has said similarly in his own career, a product of subsidy. Um, he came through uh, BBC Radio, he came through uh, regional subsidised theatres or theatre companies, and that. Um, and I'm horrified when you talk um, to politicians they really don't begin to understand this. They think that you can separate the populist from the, which they would say unpopular, um, the subsidized um, or the non-mainstream, whereas the story of all arts, as everyone knows, is that um, uh, so much, and indeed in the end, uh, virtually all art uh, has gone from um, some kind of protected environment into the um, commercial uh, sector. There are very few complete creatures um, of commercial um, theatre. My um, other thought about this, and I think it is related to this, uh, is an obsession with populism and about figures um, and success and how many people um, came to see it uh, and what kinds of people came to see it, although some of that, as I say, is absolutely a benevolent um, impulse to widen audiences. Um, I've been very struck uh, in the last couple of weeks um, as a theater critic uh, going to um, productions by what seems to me a a very worrying narrowing um, of the repertoire. Um, If you look, and again this is a broadcasting example, if you go back over the last year, um, there are four plays uh, which have been considered so important um, that they were given an item on the BBC 10 o'clock news, a two two minute item. they were, um, they, they were Barry's um, Othello, which I say I think is a complicated um, example because that was um, in, uh, certainly at central casting, was a very radical um, production and a risk uh, which, uh, um, having seen it, um, I mean, I'm mean i very um, uh, pleased that it has come off to the extent that it has. But the others were Jude Law's Hamlet and then Sam Mendes Bridge, um, uh, uh, Bridge Project Productions of the Cherry Orchard and the Winter's Tale Um, And although these these productions all have very much um, to commend them, um, it did strike me, I was slightly horrified sitting there um, this week that Jude Law's Hamlet a year after um, David Tennant, um, another Cherry Orchard I've seen, um, I think maybe four in the last um, uh, 18 months or so, The Winter's Tale, there's one on in Stratford even simultaneously with this one. It may just be accidental, but I don't think it is. I think that um, it's a narrowing of the uh, repertoire which comes from trying to, from the importance of making a splash, of getting people in there. Um, What would be really exciting, I think, would be to persuade some of these uh, movie stars, TV stars, um, and some of them have done it um, uh, to appear um, in new material. Um, there was a shameful statistic, uh, I happened about um, 18 months ago to go from London to New York because I was working in both in a week, and there wasn't a single new play on in either um, of those uh, two mainstream um, theatre, the West End or on Broadway, um, and I think that was a horrifying thing. And I think all, these, um, all of these things are connected. Um, so the drive towards diversity, I think, was um, entirely proper necessary Um, and is in constant risk, is a constant risk of failure, and I think that fight has hardly even begun, let alone um, being over. But the other side of it, which is much more, um, I think, uh, ambiguous, um, is that the push for justifying um, public money, for justifying the existence of theater, um, has led to a narrowing of the works that are performed and even the way in which they are performed. This conference was supported by the School of Theatre Performance and Cultural Policy Studies at the University of Warwick, Warwick Arts Centre, the Humanities Research Centre at the University of Warwick and the Department of Drama and Theatre at Royal Holloway.